I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection. Got uh, a little more on API product today. It's been, I think, kind of a theme lately. We've managed to get a couple of guests on. I don't know how many of these you've actually heard yet now that I think about it. But uh, at any rate, we're going to talk a little bit about API product. And I think we brought about as big of a scale as we can bring from an API product perspective with Balan from Microsoft. Anna, my co-host as usual lately. Thanks for joining again, Anna. Balan, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Microsoft. Yeah, I'm an uh, engineer turned product manager, and I've been working on cloud platforms for about a decade now. At Microsoft, I run the product team that works on uh, the Azure app platform. That includes frameworks such as Dapper that we build for microservices, services, cloud services such as Azure API platform, Azure Logic Apps for integration, Azure Cache for Redis, and a few other services. Uh, and I'm also responsible for ecosystem enablement for Azure developers. That means we work with some of the you know well-known names in the developer community and enable them to bring their products either as products that a developer would download and use or as a service that they would use when they are running their apps on Azure. We work with these partners to enable them to provide an Azure native experience in our platform. Uh, I've been at Microsoft about six years. Before Microsoft, I was at Heroku, where I built the enterprise product. And I also worked on the GitHub integration there. And before that, I was a product manager at AWS, building the simple workflow service. Well, suffice it to say, we've brought a wealth of experience to today's discussion. <laughs> I can't think of anybody else that's had quite that uh, list of brands and scope of subjects. So we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. And you know, for listeners, you know. This is a fun one, right? Because I think if you've listened before, you know, we're always trying to figure out what can you learn from this. And the struggle here is, holy crap, the scale we're dealing with with Azure and all this stuff, right, is tough. So I think we're going to kind of bring it back down a little bit to kind of more some of the discipline stuff. And one observation of mine was, if you're building cloud products, you're inherently API first. And so this question of how do I do that? How do I build products in an API first way? would just seem to be almost uh, second nature. So I'm curious within kind of the Azure team there, how are you guys thinking about kind of, how are you thinking about APIs? I think there's probably a lot for listeners to learn from. Yeah, definitely. Before I took on my current role, I ran the product team that was responsible for the Azure SDKs and for enabling consistency across the API surface area, across all the Azure services. And we have 200 plus services built by, you know, hundreds of engineering teams, each with you know hundreds of developers, so you can imagine it's it's been a journey in terms of bringing some consistency and discipline. And the end goal has always been when a customer looks at any Azure API, they get a consistent experience, whether that is how they authenticate with the service, the kind of payloads that they can expect to use with the service, or things like what are the retry policies and what are the throttling policies that are in place. That is something we wanted to have really good consistency. And we did this through a combination of programs and product. And when I say product, it was largely, it started out with tools that we built for our own developers to use as they were building APIs. And the interesting story here is in a lot of cases, we found that developers had already built the code 
And now they were trying to build a specification around that. So we had to enable that journey, but we also wanted to introduce discipline of doing design first before doing the actual implementation. And it helps that our teams also work on some of the most popular tools that developers use, Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code, and also GitHub. So we were able to bring these together into an engineering system that our internal teams could use to do API design-first API development. The other thing I wanted to add real quick was, in terms of programs, we have an architecture review board, which looks at all the different APIs that are coming up. And one of the things that they pay a lot of attention to is breaking changes and having a policy around that. And this was, the architecture board was one way to catch these. But in most cases, before the developers even came to the architecture board, the tooling had already helped them in terms of understanding some of these policies that were in place. And over time, we've matured. We use a lot more open source now than we did in the past. So Spectral is something that we use quite broadly within Microsoft. And we've also extended, built extensions on top of OpenAPI. But for the most part, everything that we do, all our tooling, converges around OpenAPI. And that's just become second nature for our dev teams now. So what is working for you in educating your product teams and engineering teams to go API design first? Right? What's working? It seems like it's a huge scale. Yeah, so we run a process called end-to-end reviews where we take a customer scenario that could span several Azure services and we show how a customer would actually be implementing that solution in different languages. And then it comes down to the commonality that they have across those languages is ultimately the API. And while we have rich SDKs for each of these languages against these APIs, the shape of the API defines the experience that a developer has with those SDKs. So these end-to-end experiences was really, like doing that exercise was really eye-opening for these service teams because now they understood nobody uses their service in isolation. It's always used together with other services. And when a customer, for example, is trying to process a document and then send it to our image recognition service that we offer, some of the challenges that they had in terms of how they were taking the response that they were receiving from one API and trying to use that as the request for payload for the next API call, these challenges became very obvious and apparent. And that was really helpful in encouraging the service teams to converge towards having that design-first philosophy and also having better consistency across the different services. So that exercise really helped us. Good old-fashioned product management, right? Understanding the user flow, understanding their pain point at every single point. We've seen this yeah. over and over again. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. Uh, we get all these, you know, what do you do when you manage an API product? I mean, it's a weird developer thing. It's like good old-fashioned product management goes a long ways. It's just a different surface, right? Right. Definitely. But yeah, I love that focus on, I call it like flow in API design. Yep. It's like, sure, you can have a standalone reusable functionality, but it's the flow through the things that tends to be the pain points. So I guess, does that imply then that sort of generating code, and maybe I'm getting out of product space, tell me if I am and it's fine. But like, I assume that that means sort of generating downstream code for things like server stubs, your SDKs. And then I assume kind of testing has changed around some of this approach as well. Yeah, definitely. And we've also, on top of that, definitely all the things that you mentioned. So we use open source for many of our marketing tools that we have built. We also built a internal portal for APIs. So developers within the company can look at the documentation 
And in many cases, we're able to take that and ship it to customers directly. But you know, we have additional metadata internally about some of the behaviors of these APIs and some of the policies that we have within our internal portal. And interestingly enough, we've also built validation tools where we can look at live traffic and understand how it differs from the specification. And this is important because when you're dealing with such a scale of such a high scale of uh, engineering teams, inevitably there will be releases that are made to the code that you know maybe start accepting a new payload that was not defined in the open API specification. So being able to catch that early on, and even before that implementation lands in production, we're able to catch that early on, just looking at the test traffic that is flowing to that API. So we built some tools around that, and our hope is that we can bring that to customers and developers everywhere through our API platform product. Nice, yeah, it's definitely a real problem. I was at PayPal, that was one of our big pain points early on in the program, it's like great design work, but development means iteration and you know mapping abstract design to real data, it's hard, yep. uh, you miss stuff. And I feel like the right answer is testing tools that catch that, but it seems like the diversity of testing options out there these days means it's hard to get that consistent across all the different languages, right? So, yep. but then it's like production traffic is such a hard thing to go wrangle for most folks. It's a tough one to solve for. So I think you're on the right track. Yep. I guess another aspect of kind of what you're managing there at Microsoft is, is really around kind of partners. And I think this is, for me, over the last, you know, call it five years or so, been a trend toward moving away from we have a big, wide open public API to there is a specific audience of partners that we want to attract to use this API. And I feel like a lot of people lack understanding on kind of what that's all about. So I'm curious, just what is it that you've kind of learned works well in making those things, you know, get rubber to the road and, and get them moving? Yeah, we definitely work with a range of partners in several domains. Observability is one of them. Data is another one. And our goal all along has been to make Azure a platform for these companies, uh, smaller companies. Oftentimes, these are companies that are contributing heavily to open source and driving a business model around that. And we want to enable that on our platform. So that's been our goal all along. Now, talking about how that manifests itself on APIs, we see a difference between the control plane APIs in terms of like how do you stand up these services? How do you manage them? Or like first, how do you provision them? How do you configure them? And then how do you manage them? And then there, we see the data plane APIs, which is how you actually use that particular service, whether that's elastic or whether that's confluent. And in a lot of cases, these are built around open standards. And like Confluent is a great example. It basically supports the Kafka API. But then there are other additional APIs that you get on top of it. So we've approached this in multiple phases. The first phase has been bringing consistency to the control plane APIs. So Azure has its own, just like AWS has CloudFormation, Azure has its own control plane API called ARM, Azure Resource Manager. And this is the API on top of which other integrations like into Terraform and into other tools is, that are popular with developers, ARM is the key thing behind all of that. So what we've done is we've worked with our partners to make sure that they can support the ARM API. And in a lot of cases, we've put our engineering effort into it ourselves. So it's a joint engineering work effort between Microsoft and these partners to enable that control plane consistency. But in terms of the data plane, we want to make sure that our developers can 
use the full richness of the APIs that our partners provide. So that part, we have provided some additional integrations. So for example, single sign-on and OAuth-based authentication, all based on open standards. And that we found is really attractive for our developers because they can, basically these are partners that they're already using. So they can continue to use those data plane APIs, but they get the additional integrations into the Azure platform. Yeah. Lower lift for them, right? They're smaller, so they don't have as much behind them uh, to get them up and running. So this helps onboard faster for all those smaller folks. Oh, I'd imagine too that, I mean, I know like sort of cloud portability for a lot of places is a real anxiety and knowing that you're building against an open standard, even if there's some flavor per provider, certainly gives some sense that you're not totally locked in. Like I think kind of the early days of cloud felt so, but I, I think that's applicable to a lot of other situations though, where it's like, it's an API design thing that I find sometimes people will look past is, is there already a way to describe this? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, there's probably a really crappy old XML way to do it that you shouldn't do. Or, you know, there may be some industry standard thing that's really gross to deal with. But I mean, like a simple example is like, if you're going to describe a contact in an API, can you use like a VCF card or something, right? Like. Sometimes there's really simple data standards out there that lots of tooling supports. So I think there's smaller scale applicability beyond, you know, supporting ARM in your data center stuff, right? (laughs) Probably not a lot of listeners necessarily are solving that problem. Yeah. So, I mean, another big aspect of scale here, and I promise scale at the beginning of this discussion is, I mean, the sheer number of things calling your platform from an API perspective I mean, certainly from a product management standpoint, that has to play a factor in terms of how you're thinking about what are your SLAs and SLOs and these things that most people would deal with. But I can only imagine some of the downstream operational aspects of thinking about how to do that. Part of why I like this line of questioning, by the way, is I find that people sometimes go naively into like the old build it and they'll come put an API out there and then find out all the pain points. So this is a great place to share pain. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think our biggest challenges have been around, like we already spoke about consistency, but in terms of operating an API, kind of uh, figuring out what are the right throttling policies that we need to put in place so that we don't inadvertently turn off developers right, from using the API. But at the same time, we can protect not just the our own service, but also the developer's code from completely blowing up. So that's been an area of focus for us. By the way, that was the most polite way of saying protecting from somebody's stupid infinite loop. <laughs> we've, all, yes. we've all been there running APIs like that. One developer that goes, oops, and deploys the infinite loop on a Friday night. Yeah. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely. And what we're seeing is this is also, and we use Azure API platform internally. We dog food our stuff in terms of the same product that we put out to customers is what we use internally for our own control plane and our data plane. And one of the things we've learned is just the differences in policies that you may want to put in place. And what I mean by that is the same throttling policy cannot be applied to all services. You have to think about what is that API actually doing? Is the product behind that API actually meant to be a chatty product, right? Like, so there is like continuous interaction, or is it supposed to be more of a long running request response kind of pattern? So understanding that has been very helpful for us in terms of understanding what kinds of policies work. And we built some best practices around that in terms of, hey, if this is the kind of service that you're building, 
then these are probably the set of policies that work best for you. And what we have found is interesting is our customers have the same issues with their own APIs, both in terms of understanding usage of these APIs that their customers might be calling, in terms of being able to give them really good documentation around those APIs, and also being very explicit about what the policies are. So I think the best practices that we've learned from operating Azure APIs applies to developers everywhere. And that's really what we're hoping that we can, you know, working with partners like yours with Stoplight, how can we shift left those uh, that kind of thinking all the way to the design of the APIs? That is something that we're really excited about because we think that will add a lot of value to developers. How are you documenting these best practices and then how are you enforcing them? Right? It's a culture change to have to get those things through, right, to people who are using them. Yeah, definitely. But the goal at the end of the day is to shift left these things. So a developer sees, like, for example, the throttling policies of an API side by side with the actual API implementation code itself. So backing up a little bit, just to one thing that you kind of said in there where you're talking about setting things like throttling per API is, is one of those things to look at early on. But I mean, I wonder from a product standpoint, you know, one common mistake I see is like, hey, everything has to have a synchronous sort of request response API from the start. But that in so many cases, you're setting yourself up for the pain of polling. Like, do these kinds of early discussions lead you to look at other ways of kind of building APIs or things that maybe belong in an SDK or otherwise? Yeah, definitely. So a couple of things we've done along that trend. We've added, for example, WebSocket support into the API management and product that we have, and also into the API platform. We've also built services specifically to help with real-time messaging needs, like WebPubSub and the Azure Signal or service. But more importantly, I think it comes back to the design of the API. When you're thinking about what is the kind of the interaction pattern that you want for the API, the ability for an organization to say, this is the set of templates that we're going to use for this kind of API. I think if the tooling can enable that, that would go a long way in terms of having that consistency across all the APIs that an organization produces. And also, one of the other places where we've seen this reflect is in testing, right? Like, how do you even test these? It's easy enough to test request response kind of patterns. But how do you test some of these other interaction patterns? So we built a load testing service that can help with load. But we're also looking at Playwright, which is an open source contribution that we made to make it easier for developers to write functional tests. But we believe that today it's largely used for UIs, but we believe that can be used for APIs as well. So that's a work in progress, but it's definitely a space that we're investing in to figure out how can we, across the lifecycle of an API, How can we enable these other interaction patterns? Got it. Well, I'll tell you, um, again, I promise scale. I think we saw crazy scale in this discussion in a way that I think we haven't had with a lot of other guests thinking about what it's like, these huge cloud provider environments. I'll say for my money, like over the last 10 years or so, I mean, I started my career in .NET and Microsoft environment, and it felt like this locked in world. And I just got to tell you, like hearing all these mentions of open source at, at partner level interactions and you know, all these different ideas based around open source stuff. I mean, I feel like that is what's turned the tide in the Microsoft world in, in seeing now, you know, every desktop seems to have a visual studio code. I mean, I know our team uses it extensively and just, uh, you know, all the kind of 
getting things into normal places like GitHub that people expect, right? Like it seems like it's been a, a massive cultural revolution there over the last decade. It sounds like you've been there long enough to experience some of it. To me, where do you see it going from here for kind of developers and what to think about for Microsoft and the developer program and cloud stuff in the future? Yeah, I think it goes back to basically, you know, very simple product management principles, putting the customer first. So when we think about who our customers are, they are developers. And developers hardly use just one tool or one platform. They use a whole bunch of different tools. And our goal is to make it seamless for them to use these different tools and services and platforms on top of our cloud offering, which is Azure. So in terms of how we are enabling open source, we definitely contribute quite a bit into open source, as you can see with VS Code and also .NET. We also bring much of the innovation that we've built into open source, but it's not like, you know, this is a Microsoft project that's, that's sitting in an open source repo. This is more about building a community around it. A great example of this on my team is uh, Dapper, which is a microservices framework that we're, that we're building together with Alibaba and a few others. And the goal here is to bring much of the best practices we've learned about building large-scale cloud services with microservices how can we codify those best practices into a framework that customers can use? And the interesting thing here is we're seeing a lot of API developers now start to use frameworks like Dapper to actually implement the APIs, right? So we see a symmetry between how they are designing their APIs and some of the things that Dapper provides, for example, in terms of resiliency. How can you make the API implementation itself more resilient to backend failures? So we're seeing how frameworks like Dapper can help with API developers implementing the designs that they have in mind. So that was another example of how we work with the open source. But in terms of enabling partners, I think in a lot of cases, we have first-party services that do the same thing that a partner might be doing. But we've taken a very open approach to this in terms of putting the customer first, right? So at the end of the day, it's about driving customer delight and you know we might lose a little bit of usage of our own services, but that's totally fine as long as the customer is benefiting from our cloud platform and from our developer tooling. So that's kind of how we see the world with partners. As I mentioned, we work, the Azure Marketplace has hundreds and hundreds of partner offerings. We've also picked few that are very popular with developers and invested in Azure native integrations with those. And we'll continue to do more and more of that. Got it. All right. So I usually do this. We would talk with a lot of folks running like API programs and we'll say, you know, you've got to build your program all over again. Where would you start? But I think today I feel like more product managers thinking about APIs are probably tuned into this discussion. So like, what do you think is the most important facet? And, I, and I'm going to not let you cheat and give the answer I would give because you already did, which is cus be customer centric. Uh, but like, what's the next most important thing that you think you should apply in, in learning to manage APIs as a product? Yeah, we were having this discussion a few weeks ago when we were thinking about how people think of API productization, right? And very often we find it's uh, kind of overloaded with API monetization, but that's not always the case. You might have an API that you're not monetizing, but you still need to treat it like a product which means it has a life cycle. You have a kind of a deprecation policy around it. You have really good documentation around it. 
you work towards discoverability. How are you going to make these APIs discoverable? Maybe not even externally, but even within your organization. I was talking to a customer who's one of the biggest audit businesses in the world, and they were talking about how they are going all API-centered, which means every single dev team within that huge organization needed to be thinking about making their value available as an API that other dev teams can leverage. And I think this is also consistent with what we're seeing with application development overall, right? Like there's a huge emphasis on not reinventing the wheel and being able to build new value and new capabilities out of existing systems through composability. So I think all of these things kind of come together. And if you're a product manager working on you know, any product, I would say you do want to have an, any technical product, you do want to have an API surface area for that because that is how other developers are going to find it, use it, and build on top of it. And that comes all the way from how they discover it and how they start consuming it to what happens at scale, right? Like when they really use your product, how are you going to handle that scale? So those are some of the things that you need to think right from the get-go. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Alana, really appreciate the discussion today. I feel like I personally, I literally took a page of notes while we were talking here. So I have so much homework to do from this one. (laughs) Yeah, at the end of the day, I think, you know, we just want to unleash developers' creativity, right? And that can happen only through APIs, honestly. And I think that's where, you know, as all of us come together from Stoplight, from Microsoft, from the kind of the tooling side, and Microsoft from the Azure platform side, I think we can do wonders for developers everywhere. Yeah, I think we definitely have some shared sense of the journey that everyone's going through and what it's going to take. So, yeah. Oh, really appreciate it again. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question, and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.